friends! You're listening to Crickets to Cha-Chings, a show where we talk about all aspects of running a handmade business and marketing that business for success while still keeping a balance to have flexibility for your family. I'm your host, Lauren Keplinger, and I am so excited to get started. Let's jump right in. and welcome back to another episode of Crickets to Cha-Chings. Today on the podcast, I have Jacinta Taylor with me and her shop, Laminated Cotton Shop, is what we are going to talk about today. And Jacinta is joining us from Australia. So she's going to bring a unique international perspective for those of us from the United States. Welcome, Jacinta. Hi, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me on here today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your shop and how you got started doing what you're doing. I'm a mum of two little boys. I started my business back around 2013. And so I started on Etsy around that time. And the whole concept of the business is all about waterproof and washable products. And I got that idea from, we actually went on a trip to the US uh, for my husband's work in 2012. And I bought a mat that I could put in the washing machine underneath the kid's high chair. When I came home, I got really angry. It wasn't available here. And I actually got quite mad. There was a lot of a product gap over in Australia for some of the things I'd seen in the US. And I wanted to be able, um, I needed something at that time to work around the kids. And I just, you know, researched fabric and came across laminated cotton and decided there were a lot of applications for it on this side of the world that just weren't being tapped into. That is interesting because the United States is not really known for our, like, environmentally friendly practices. And then brought it back to Australia. <laughs> well, I'm sad to say it's probably a sign of how not very environmentally friendly things were at the time here. So, yeah, Australia doesn't exactly have the greatest record for environmental care. So, Yeah, but that's great because you saw an opportunity that was sort of an untapped market. And um, (laughs) is that something that you were interested in, in your life outside of just this one product? Or was it something that you developed an interest in later? A bit of both. Look, I always did sewing a little bit as a hobby. I was never very good. I've had to teach myself a lot. I come from an accounting background. So when I went on maternity leave, and I'm sure this has happened to a lot of your listeners, sort of going back into the workforce at a professional level was not possible part-time. So I worked, I wanted to keep busy and I saw something there and I thought, well, let's give this a go. Previously, I'd worked in accounting for FMCG companies. So I had sort of a bit of an idea about how much of a gap in the market there is. So that's where that came from. I was leaning towards a product-based business, and this to me seemed like something that was lacking. All right. That's really interesting because although we make very different products, I also got into Etsy because of a gap that I saw in the market, not necessarily something that I was making, like I wasn't crafting it on my own or as a hobby or anything before I started selling it. And I think that that's a different perspective when you come from a background of doing something as a hobby or a craft beforehand and then trying to turn it into a business versus going into it with the idea that it's going to be a business. Those are kind of different mindsets. 
Totally, totally. And also, I guess there was that focus there of being able to solve a problem for people. And as that's gone on over time, of the range of products, it started at high chair mats. Now it encompasses shower caps, placemats, reusable snack bags that are dishwasher safe. There's a whole and toothbrush bags. So it's grown from that one item and it's all come through sort of customer feedback or things that I've noticed are missing here. Okay, that's great. So when you started, you were doing mats that went under the high chair Mm -hmm. that were washable. And then did you start getting custom requests from people for other things? Yes. Well, to be honest, the customer requests started at in-person market events. They also started because I was selling myself at markets and people would look at it and it took a while for people to believe me about the fabric. And I still Mm -hmm. face that. So you've got to remember in Australia, we don't have Amazon Prime. We don't have at that time. Look, even selling on Etsy, while that is great for my platform, Etsy is not taken up by a huge number of Australians. So that is, I can't rely on that as my only platform, but it's been an excellent platform for me. So I'm sort of coming back. I feel like the underdog sometimes because I have to work very hard to convince people I'm real and it's real fabric and Etsy is a safe place to trade, not just be on Etsy and look for customers, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's really interesting. Do you you find that the majority of your customers on Etsy are from Australia or do you mostly attract the more international market on the platform? It started off just as Australians, but what I did is I started to have a look at what else was there and I realized my products also fit gaps in other markets. And Mm -hmm. so as I got better at Etsy, I started to understand the keywords or understanding where my product fit in on Etsy and realized I could sell internationally. So now I'd say it's 50% Australian, 50% international. Okay. So it really allows you to branch out beyond maybe what like a local market or in-person thing would do. Yes. Yes. But but you still do the in-person markets and all of that. I have to very much so because you've got to remember the population here, this is why it's a lot harder from this side. We've only got a population of, say, 27 mil and of that, a very small percentage will shop online. So a lot of people don't like to shop online yet. A lot do, but the take up here is nothing like what you've got in the US. So I find I need to attend those events, not just for the in-person interaction with customers. So that's a great way for me to meet new people and show them the fabric. But I feel it helps me get over those few hurdles that I am a real business. It really works and I'm not making it up. And so once I get over those hurdles at in-person events, then it's much easier to sell online to return customers. That's really interesting. I didn't realize that there was such a a gap in consumer habits. I guess online shopping is like the only thing people do in the United States. (laughs) We're a bit behind you guys. We're definitely behind in terms of take up. And I mean, and to give you another example, I started selling into New Zealand because we have free trade agreements with New Zealand. They're our closest neighbor pretty much to Australia. And a lot of New Zealanders won't use PayPal. 
So I actually was able to get on their local version of eBay, which is TradeMe, and I managed to sell on there I've, I, and I do sell on that platform. And that's how I reach New Zealand customers because they otherwise probably won't go on some of the other platforms I'm on. Huh. That's, that is really fascinating to me. But I applaud you for your work in getting yourself out there. Like it's not just as simple as just putting it up online and all of a sudden you have this built-in market base. No. I'll I'll give you an example because I think you've got something like 327 million people. (laughs) I looked up some um, statistics. We've only got 25 mil. And so I've got to work, I guess, a lot harder and look into a lot more loopholes to sort of keep my sales going because there's just not the people here. Right. So when you look at your breakdown of sales, how does it kind of spread out across the different platforms? I would say, because you can remember in Australia, eBay is not just for secondhand items. So I'm pretty much split 50-50 Etsy and eBay, as well as my own platform, which my own website has only been properly running for the last 12 months because it took me that long to get customers comfortable shopping online, I've now been able to bring Australians onto my own platform. And that's another thing to, you know, get people to buy on again. So that's slowly ticking over and starting to match up with my Etsy sales. Okay. That's a really interesting opportunity because I would say with a primarily United States-based buyer market that I have, it's very difficult for me to move people from a platform like Etsy that they are very familiar with mm. onto my own website because yeah. they're unfamiliar with it. And it's, you know, they just, people have more hesitations about that, I guess. They don't trust it as much. But if you're dealing with a buyer who's already not really trusting anything, it's just <laughs> as easy to come to your own website. So that could be actually like a sort of hidden benefit. <laughs> well, look, some of the things I have done, if this helps your listeners, to bring buyers across to my own website, and that's not to take away from Etsy because some people love, you know, just shopping on Etsy. What has happened is I use the in-person events as a way to do that. So what I do is when I do sell out, sell something, I remind customers that if they need any product help or support or they need some washing help or they're not sure with the product, they can always contact me at my website and I hand them the card. So it's like adding a guarantee to that product as well as showing them where they can find you. And then on the website, I've made sure there's an icon there about me and they can click on that and it's a photo of me who they met at the market talking about the business. So it's all about just, I guess, having a follow through. That's how I found it. But understandably, you can't just have meet every single person that shops on your website. But that has given me a start and then they might tell their friends or when I email the order, there's a leaflet in that order about, you know, thank you for shopping with my small business. If you'd like to leave a review, we'd really appreciate that. And again, reinforcing the website. And also trying to capture them on an email list so that once a month they've got a code or, I mean, I've been giving a code, but also, you know, here's the new product with a link back to that site. Yeah. So do you do a lot of in-person events? Like what does that scheduling look like for you? I was doing about one or two a month. 
But what I've discovered is as I've gone into the business further, I'm actually picking up more events than less. And the reason for that is very much because of the marketplace I'm in. I'm finding that in the summer months, a lot of people go to sort of picturesque locations around Victoria, so around beach areas, sort of, you know, coastal towns. And so I'm going out to those over summer and doing a few extra markets and picking up customers who would never otherwise find me. Okay. Yeah, that's great. I would imagine that that also gives you a really good insight being able to have that interaction directly with the customer and speak to them in person and see what they're interested in and what they ask questions about and everything. It kind of gives you this unique ability to interact with them beyond just a computer screen. Yeah, look, it really helps. And they come back and then they come back online later in the year. So when it's winter, I'm probably not out at events. I'm using those sort of summer times and the events are on that are around summertime to make the most of trying to interact with my target customer. I'm also finding if I want to target a warm customer or someone that's seen my product before who is in my target market, that's something I could probably do all right organically with social media or spend a smaller amount cost per click to reach those customers again. If I want to target someone who hasn't seen my product before, it's going to cost a lot more money to advertise to them online. So I feel like those events are letting me return income or make money for that day, but also allowing me to cut the cost of any advertising I do on social media because I've got a lot more warm customers than cold ones now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would totally agree. And I talk about it a lot in my programs with not so much targeting the cold versus warm because yep. it's a little harder to differentiate those on Etsy if you're just staying on the Fair Etsy enough. platform. Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. But in terms of having returning customers come back to you again and again, if you can build up that customer base that's loyal to you and your product and your shop, it becomes so much easier to have a sustainable business because you're not competing with anybody else. They're coming straight to you and buying what they want. <laughs> That's what sort of happened, which has been, yeah. So it's definitely possible for everyone. <laughs> so just, Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. And there's always a way to, you know, like you talked about with putting flyers in the packages and all those things to, to attract them as the customer, but then also get them as a return customer or get them as somebody that's buying a gift for somebody else, which then you get to target that customer as well. Like it sort of snowballs from there. Yeah, definitely. Yes. So since you have this unique perspective, you know, culturally and being located outside the United States, which I hate to say international because like, obviously that's only international to people that are outside of Australia. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, there's a huge, huge buyer base in the United States. So it is a different, I mean, it's just a totally different approach when you don't have the people who are domestically located in the same country as you, you know, the hundreds of millions of people. So what kind of, you know, feedback or suggestions do you have when you are talking about trying to expand beyond just your, you know, the country that you're located in or that you're trying to have this international buyer base? 
Okay, so from my perspective, so if you are in based in the US and looking to sell internationally, it's a great way to sell products in the off season because we're on the other side of the world. It's summer when it's your winter. And one great example of that is there's a business called Next Direct. They're a UK-based retailer and they sell all of their range at full price year-round and there's an Australian site and I suspect they're selling all their old winter stuff when it's our winter, which they're done with in the UK. So you can easily just look at the words, look for keywords that buyers in other countries that are on the opposite side of the world are using in your off season and just sell your winter scarves when it's your summer, sell your summer stuff when it's your winter and just mix up those keywords a bit and um, to target the other side of the world for off season sales. Hey guys, I just want to jump on here really quick and tell you that I have a brand new checklist all about SEO. If SEO is something that you are struggling with, like so many Etsy sellers, hop on over to laurenkeplinger.com forward slash checklist and download that Etsy SEO checklist. All right, back to the episode. The other thing I think that's important that I've not seen it yet by US sellers is If you want to sell outside of the United States, just remember that most other countries don't use the imperial system. So, if you throw centimetres, if you're putting measurements in, if you put centimetres as well as inches, it will be easier for customers to understand like sizing, if that's something that is of interest. I learned that very quickly when I didn't put inches on listings and I got a few messages and never again will I forget to put inches on listings. <laughs> People get mad. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the other thing to keep in mind, if you're selling from the States and you want to sell internationally, just remember that places like Australia don't have the same expectations that US customers might. So we are very used to something taking a good three weeks to get here from another country. So if you... That makes sense because I've had really, really good experiences with international shipping. Mm -hmm. I had a lady that ordered from the Philippines and the package actually ended up being lost and then reappearing like three months later. But she was super patient. Like, I mean, she had waited months and months and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't know where it is. The tracking's not updating. I really don't know what to tell you. And, um, and she was like, oh, it's fine. Just let me know if you know anything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this, you know, this is like totally different than people in the United States who are expecting it like yesterday. And, and that makes sense though. If you're not, you know, if if you don't have that expectation of two day shipping or one day shipping Mm -hmm. or you know, places like Amazon have same day arrival now in that doesn't exist here. <laughs> yeah, like they have drones that will come and like drop it at your house like, <laughs> three hours later. So if that's not what you're used to, it probably makes you significantly more patient. <laughs> we are we're easier. And you've got to remember yeah. too, from my background in FMCG, like one thing I did notice, and that's what made me think that I had a decent crack at doing this business. In Australia, we don't have products made for our own market. All the big retailers in big box shops, a lot of the stock they sell is excess from the US market. Because our retail industry is so much smaller, no one really pays attention to Australian customers because there's not many of us. So if you uniquely target that customer or you make your shop available to sell in countries that usually 
can't get products from the US, you'll find that people will put up, you know, they'll be very grateful for that too, if you can find a profitable way to do that. And again, they're not expecting free shipping from the US and they're not expecting it to arrive. You know, it can take a month and you can charge the full price of shipping. As long as you say it's going to take this amount of time, people will be fine with it. Basically, what she's saying is that Australians are your perfect customer. They are patient. They will pay for shipping. (laughs) They're very gracious and friendly. (laughs) Yeah, they shouldn't be. And if you get a nasty one, it's just the odd one. Um, I have never had a nasty Australian (laughs) customer. I will say that. I have had nothing but friendly and very nice ones. Oh, good. Good to hear. (laughs) I will say, though, in my experience, because I sell monogrammed things, One thing that I learned through experience of shipping internationally, because I never thought about it, was that some things, the way that things are, for instance, a monogram, I don't know if this would would apply to any other category, but in the United States, monograms are first name, initial, and then last name, initial in the center, and then the middle initial. And apparently that is not true all over the world. (laughs) Yeah. So I have had some very early in my days of international shipping. I did have an Australian that was like, this is not right. The order of these initials is not right. And I just didn't know. I didn't know it was different. Like I didn't know that that wasn't a standardized thing. I never thought about it, I guess. That sounds, not unless they were from, because I do know Asian names sometimes it's the other way around. Is that, do you know if it was an Asian customer? No? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, it was, I it don't. Was a long time ago. <laughs> oh, that's a bit, yeah. Because, look, to be honest, we don't expect things monogrammed here because <laughs> we, we have a struggle to get products. So, yeah. Yeah, I just clarify it every time I ship it or not. Now, you know, do you, do you want, how do you want this laid out or whatever? So, just making those assumptions, I guess, for Yep, for listeners, that there are things that are different culture to culture. And so you kind of have to think through like what maybe is something that I think is just normal, but might not be normal outside of where I'm located. That's true. What you think is not, yeah. And look, I mean, the other thing too, clarifying just to, you know, if you are writing to someone from another country, let them know you're from the US when you're asking the question as well sometimes, because I get messages. This is one happens all the time. I'm in WA. Now, WA, Washington, amazingly, I don't think of that first. I think Western Australia. And so, WA. (laughs) So, if someone says I'm from WA, it's happened before. I've given them a price, but that price is in Australian dollars. Uh, uh I've understandably gotten quite mad because it's higher than, because our dollar is worth a lot less than yours. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And I do always preface things with, this is the way is standard in the United States, but I just yeah. wanted to be sure that that's what you wanted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that there's just sort of, you just don't think about it. If you if you don't have a lot of experience with a different culture going somewhere, there's just, you know, just like you said, with the inches to centimeters, that doesn't seem like it should really be that big of a deal because you can look up a calculator online and do it yourself <laughs> yep. to, you know, go back and forth between the two. But I think that people in the United States tend to not trust it. Like if I, I was actually just looking at something the other day and it was listed as 40 centimeters. And so oh. I went on the calculator and it said 16 inches. And I'm like, okay, but is it really 16 inches? Or like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not positive that that's true. That's good to know. So it is very important to have both. That's very true. I believe that. You know, it's it's like saying this is 40 Australian dollars and people are like, okay, but 
it's unfamiliar to me. And so it just doesn't feel as comfortable, you know? And I think that part of that buyer trust or whatever is that comfort level with the person that they're buying from. And so I think that, that it just having that in your, even like languages, you know, when you read something that's translated or something, it's not oh. the same as reading it in your own native language. You know, it's just that comfort level is a little bit different. Yeah. So what we find is on my store from the US and if you're shopping on Etsy from the US, everything will show up in US dollars. Okay. But it'll come up as a weird amount. So right. for example, I think at the rate is, you know, a dollar, I think it's 70 cents or 69 cents to one US, one Australian dollar. So one dollar by 70 cents US at the time of recording here at 13th of the second 20. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's a lot cheaper to buy from here so but it'll come up as a strange looking amount yeah okay that makes sense because i'm looking at every shop pulled up right now and there's things that are like 31 dollars and 46 cents and then the other thing to know is that i can't control that so what will happen is tomorrow it'll be slightly different and i've got no visibility over that either okay okay so it goes up and down with the exchange rate yes so i only see so if you see if you want something from a certain country to buy and the exchange rate, you know, maybe just check the exchange rate. And if it's a good rate, if it's a better rate for you, it will be cheaper on Etsy that day. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Have you found challenges over the past several months as Etsy has implemented more of a push for free shipping to US buyers? Has that impacted you at all? Or do you mostly? Yeah, oh, that's a really good question. And I was really skeptical of that. But I, in the end, I found it was, to me, it's more important to show up in the listings and what I've found is my items translate as a lot cheaper anyway. So I've agreed, I do the free shipping, but you've got to remember 35 US dollars is 50 Australian dollars to me. So I'm fine with the free shipping. So because of that exchange rate, if it was $35 Australian, then I'd have a problem. So it okay. works for me, but because the average order is about, even with the shipping, is still under $30 because my items, when you translate them back, you're paying about $20 for a shower cap that in the US is probably closer to $30, $40. Okay. You're getting a good deal regardless. So I find that hasn't been a problem or if people spend to get to that $35 US amount, the spend they've got to have is always going to be that bit more. So, because of the way the items are priced, so I've had to think about what my average cart order is. And to be mm-hmm. honest, it, it's I'm happy to offer it. The only thing I'm not happy with, I don't know if you guys get this, but sometimes customers from Canada will ask to have the same deal. Do you get that? Hmm. I have never had that happen before. Yeah. And just because, and the problem here, and this is an issue to consider when you are selling internationally, it's a lot easier to sell into a country that has free trade agreements with the US because then when the customer gets it, there's no duty issues. Right. Australia, as far away and little as we are, the US is actually our biggest trading partner. So, Mm -hmm. that goes to show how little, like, small we are that we rely so heavily on you guys. So, any orders up to 100 US dollars don't have duties attracting them. So, people can order from me and they're not going to get hit with any duty costs. They might order from a country closer to the US and still attract duty costs. 
Interesting. I actually have an episode. I don't know if it will have come out before or after this one. Oh, I'll have to <laughs> um, so, yeah. about international shipping and some of the challenges. And that is one that I talk about because oh, right. yep. people in the United States are not used to paying duty taxes. We barely, I, like I can't remember ever a time that I've ever had to pay duty taxes. Yep. There are countries that are fairly used to it. Like most of the European Union countries should be used to it. But a lot of times that is something that, at least from the United States, I don't know how that works from other countries, but when yeah. when we send something to the EU, they have to pay their value-added taxes on them. Yeah. One thing that is quite funny is because, I don't know if you know, the English, the UK Queen is on all our money. We're actually like a, we were part of the, you know, we're a colony of the UK, <laughs> but we don't actually have trading agreements with them. Okay. So. I can sell to the US duty free, but I cannot sell yeah. to the UK duty free, even though the Queen's on all our right. money. Which is fine as long as they understand that. Like the problem becomes when you ship something to them and they don't realize they're going to be hit with those taxes oh, and then they're mad. <laughs> I'll give you some inside info on that though, because the UK and Australia do have close, we, we have a lot of expats here. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got UK people in our family because lots of Australians go and work in the UK, marry right. UK people, whatever. So they do know they're supposed to pay tax, VAT mm-hmm. and duties. They do know that. But I, I get the feeling that when they decide they get it and they decide they don't want to pay it, they pretend they didn't know. I'll be dead okay. I think that's what's mm-hmm. happening. So have, yeah, have tracking because the tracking on your order will always say whether or not they rejected it. So... Mm-hmm. I now have gone from learning this information, I now double check that tracking and if they've signed not accepting it, then I go back saying, no, it didn't get lost, you didn't accept it and you know. So so that's fine. I think that that's interesting though because a lot of people in the US don't know about the taxes and so when they have a buyer that comes back and they say, well, I didn't know I was going to have to pay these taxes, a lot of times the seller in the US didn't know about it either. Yeah. And so they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know why you would have to pay taxes. And and so yeah. they're kind of hard. Um, so I think it's really yeah. important to know, especially if you have, I mean, obviously every country is going to be slightly different, but when you have a bulk of orders, like I ship a lot of stuff to Canada. So it's important to know like kind of what the game plan is with, with how that gets there. Yeah. And look, it's up the people in that country buying online really should have a look at that or no. Yeah. So sometimes it is a bit of a, I don't want to pay it. So I'll tell you that I'm surprised. Right. Yeah. No, it's, every country has its quirks. <laughs> so yeah. So what do you do when you have people from Canada that ask you for the same deal? I'm assuming that, the Canadian well, situation with the exchange rate is not as good. You're right. They, they don't get things as cheaply. But the problem is because, again, like I said, the US is a big trading partner for Australia. I can ship to the US much more cheaply than I can ship to Canada. Oh, I see what you're big saying. difference okay. in price, plus they'll have the duties. So for me, I'm not going to get it there within 10 days because I can do that. To, I've got a dedicated courier for US orders and um, – okay. I have set rates agreed with DHL, so I get things straight there. Can't do that with Canada, and it costs me nearly double to post to Canada. So I just tell them, look, it's different. It's Even though it's so close, you wouldn't think, but it's actually yeah. – and mind you, it's still cheaper, and we still happily ship to Canada on a problem. I just can't work out a way to do that for free. Yeah. That's really interesting to me that I think you make a really good point that I never thought about with the exchange rate and how mm. the free shipping 
isn't as big of a deal to you because you're still getting more money in Australian dollars than than we're thinking we're paying in US dollars. <laughs> so I'm glad they've let, if they drop that boundary that it's free shipping for say twenty US dollars, then it right. then it won't work. So for the the amount they've set, surprisingly it works for me. I do find yeah sometimes they make changes and I have to I always have to think through the process. What's the loophole that will work for me here? Right. Because Etsy, obviously, we are Australia is such a small part of Etsy that yeah. you know. Yeah, we just have to roll with whatever changes come. Right. But it really is different country to country because I've spoken with somebody recently who was in Spain and it was a totally different conversation with her about the free shipping because the exchange rate in Spain versus the United States is the opposite. Really? Better. Um, yeah, the, oh. the euro is a lot stronger than the dollar. I don't know what it is right this second. It has been historically. <laughs> Right. So yeah, so for her like to ship to the United States was a lot. It was it was prohibitive for her. So that's a, a really good consideration for international sellers to think about. You know, a lot of people jump immediately to the conclusion of I can't do it. It's too expensive. I can't I can't handle this. But to really think through what that process looks like and how it impacts you individually. Yep, definitely. Yeah. Oh, the other thing that I do want to mention and to ask you, in terms of sort of when you're receiving an item from international as a US customer, where customs plays a role, are you expecting, because as much as I can control, this is where the bulk of some complaints have come from. And there's, I sort of, I do sort of explain it's better to have this than not. If one plane gets caught because, you know, there's something dodgy in the, the mail mm-hmm. arriving in the US in that, that'll hold up the entire shipment for a few weeks while every single item is checked. And right. so I think before I've sometimes occasionally an order will be held up for say three or four weeks and that will be because it's going through customs and there's at that point it's got nothing to do with me as a seller. That's 100% up to the customs to decide if that whole shipment is free to go. Once I explain that to customers, they're generally okay, but every so often there'll be that one order that just takes nearly a month to arrive. Yeah, I think it's just really important in your shop to have those sort of policies and stuff laid out to explain to people that, you know, when I have somebody, because I've had orders shipped to the UK that have arrived in like four days. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then I've also had them arrive in like a month. It's so varied. And so I will mostly just say that to people if they ask, especially if they're asking ahead of time. So, Fair enough. So, have a deadline that they're wanting to get it by to say, you know, it normally takes, let's say two weeks, but with international shipping, it's really out of my control. You know, I can get, I can promise you that it will be in the mail by X date, but after that, it can vary dramatically because I have also had that. And I think that I'm probably not your typical buyer because I buy a ton of stuff from overseas. So I know that is the case and I know that things can okay, sit. So and you're informed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd probably be more likely to be a little bit more understanding than maybe the average US consumer just because of my experience with that. But I think that in terms of your shop and just protecting yourself from that, it's just really important to have that explanation. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, once I actually, I actually did have to get a review taken off Etsy. This is going back about two years. The reviewer wrote, don't buy from Australia. It takes too long. 
I had to just write the essay. Okay, maybe with this, I can't even remember. I don't even think the order took more than, it took a few weeks. So, yes, it did take a while to get there, but that was before I had the new, the career that I do have now. But it was within all the terms and conditions. So, Etsy did agree to take it. They took it down because I said, it's not fair to say all of Australia takes a long time because I'm just one of many. So, yeah, they were on board with that. But, yeah, (laughs) that was a bit mean. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, people should know based on the pricing and the fact that it's not like round numbers that you're not located in the United States. They should double check that. Oh. But, um, <laughs> you know, that kind of gives people a lot of credit for how closely they're reading things. Yeah. Well, I feel like flattered that they think I'm from the US. So that's actually quite flattering to think that I'm looking at the standard that you, sort of US sellers are selling at and offering a product that is in line with what you can get from the US. So that is, yeah, I actually take it as a bit of a compliment, but I do understand, yeah, the a weird amount should tip you off. Yeah. Yeah. But I recently ordered something for, it was for my daughter's birthday party and it shipped from Australia. It was like a little cake decoration thing. Oh, yeah. And I knew... I ordered it the beginning of November and I knew that there was a chance that it might not be here. The party was at the beginning of December. So I wasn't procrastinating, but I just always know that it can get a little bit dicey. Like it's kind of up in the air for me as a buyer. The most important part was that she actually shipped it when she said she was going to. So it's like, that's important. I've waited until, you know, not that a month before is really the last minute, but if I've kind of pushed this down to the wire and I know that it could go either way. You know, if she had gone overdue by a week or something, at that point, yeah. I probably would have been upset because like, okay, I thought this was going to be okay based on what you said, but you're not actually following through with what you said no, you were going to do. That's not right. So I that just that expectation management is probably the most important part to follow through with yeah. the best you can do. And sellers in Australia like know that that's important to be timely with your orders. So you yeah. can't you can't do that with overseas orders. You need to be you know shipping things in a timely manner. Yeah, I would actually say that that's true everywhere, but it, it becomes more important with international orders just because even if you shipped it tomorrow, it still could take a month. So exactly, that's why you do it straight away. Yeah, right. So, yeah, definitely. yeah. Well, Jacinta, thank you so much for coming on here and chatting with me. This has been such an interesting conversation, and I'm so glad to have a different perspective than I normally do. I'm so glad you could do this. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. And I've been enjoying listening to your podcast, actually. Oh, thank I've you. discovered about you. I'm really, yeah, really good tips on Etsy. Yeah. Thank you. Where can people find you online if they want to take a look at your products and what you're doing? Okay, you can always find me um, on Etsy at the Laminated Cotton Shop, but I'm also um, got my own website where I sort of, you know, there's a bit more about me and all what we do at www.laminatedcottonshop.com. Yeah, definitely check it out. She's doing some really neat things. Thank you again for being here, and I'm so glad that you could join us. Thanks so much, Lauren. Lauren. 